It's a good Sunday to be in church. Can we quickly put our hands together for, uh, for Sarah and Luca and the team, yeah? Because they're here, right? And, and they got to sleep at like 4-ish a.m., which is, so you guys have, this sermon will be great. But if you're praying in the middle, right, with your eyes closed, it's, yeah, you've had coffee. Oh, there you go. There you go. But if you are praying in the middle, it's all right. If you, uh, anyone else is praying in the middle, please be praying and not sleeping, unless you were also up at 4 a.m., right, which is, which is all, all good. Hey, uh, let's, let's open the Bible, yeah? Bible's a good place to start. That's, that's one of my rules when I preach is we open the Bible as soon as possible so that Jono, I'm Jono, by the way. There we go. Good time to introduce myself. Uh, so that I don't get too distracted and, and end up talking about things that are not related to the sermon, right? We came to hear the Word of God, not the Word of Jono. Um, although the Word of Jono is great, but not as transformative for lives. Awesome. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 4, uh, and we're going to read verses 4 to 5 in the message translation. Look at that. Duncan is onto it. It says this. It's message translation. Uh, celebrate God all day. Every day, I mean revel in Him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side. Working with them and not against them, help them see that the master is about to arrive, that he could show up any minute. See, this morning, uh, we're going to continue our series, Living the Dream. And, and I want this scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, to kind of be our, our touchstone. I want you to, to keep this in mind. And so before we go any further, I want to give some context. You might have noticed that whenever I preach, I always read a scripture, then I give context. For me, it's really helpful. It helps me to, to know why this was written, right? All of the Bible is God-breathed, but it's God-breathed into a context. The person who wrote it, in this case, Paul, wrote it for a reason, and God wants to speak to us not just through the words on the page, but also through the reason that he wrote it. See, so, so Philippians chapter 4 is a prison letter. I was going to say anyone ever written a prison letter, but that's probably a bit too much of an intimate question for, for two minutes into a sermon, right? It's a prison letter, and, and it's a prison letter because Paul, the apostle Paul, is in prison, right? That's a, a good, it's kind of a, you have to be in prison to write a prison letter, unless you're writing a letter to someone in prison, which I guess that's also a prison letter, right? And, and Paul is, is in prison, and he's under house arrest under the rule of the Roman Empire, uh, Emperor Nero. And, and so what this means is that everywhere that Paul goes, he has guards with him. Just stop and think about that for a moment, right? Everywhere that Paul goes, everything that, that Paul does, he has guards with him. Right, he goes to visit a friend and his, his guards come with him and, and one waits outside the house and one's in the lounge as Paul and his friend are catching up, right? He, he goes to, to pray at the temple and the guards are there making sure that he doesn't pray the wrong prayer or, or start preaching the wrong sermon. Everywhere he goes, he has guards with him. And it's in this prison under house arrest that Paul writes four books that, that ironically, like the Philippians, uh, like the letter to the Philippians, mention joy a lot, right? I, I find it ironic because Paul is in a pretty uh, hard situation, right? I don't know if you've ever had that, situ that kind of, that moment where someone follows you around. I've done that a couple of times at work where I've been training someone, right? And I've got like a, a buddy and they shadow me and I like the person, but by the end of like the second day, I'm a little bit sick of them. Like, could you please stop watching me as I'm typing, Right, it's just I I can't type properly when you're watching me. I feel like I've got like meat fingers. I'm like I'm usually much better than this. Please, you're putting me off my game, 
right? I find that frustrating, and yet here Paul is constantly followed by guards, constantly under, under house arrest. In fact, uh, biblical kind of trivia fact of the day, you didn't know you were going to get one of those, did you, coming to church? Biblical trivia fact of the day is that in the book of Philippians, Paul mentions the word joy 16 times, and it's only a four-chapter book, right? Paul talks a lot in this book about this idea of, of joy, and when I read this, the question that comes to mind for me is, how is it that Paul in jail, how is it that, that Paul, who's lived a very hard life, can, can enjoy God, and even while he's writing, enjoy God, celebrate Him, revel in Him, even while he's writing that, he, he's, hand, he's handcuffed, I was going to say handicapped, he's kind of also handicapped, he's a thorn in his side, you never quite know what that means, but he's, he's handcuffed, right? See, what I think's going on here is, is in life, there's a lot more going on than we can see, right? There's a lot more to life than, than is immediately apparent, and it can be hard for us to get out of our tent and under an open sky, right? To, to remind you, we've been in the series for, this is the third week now, the series of, of living the dream, and we started by looking at, at um at purpose. Well, actually, we started looking at a, a recap. So this is actually our fourth week. We started by, by recapping kind of the journey that we've been on as a church, right? Then, then we started by looking at purpose. Last week, Pastor Boone, who I heard was, was amazing, talked to us about how we think. And, and today, I want to talk on the topic of vision. See, here's the thing, right? As, as a church, we've, we've been in this series, this, the, the point of the series, the, the aim of this series is, is that we would all realize that God has called us, right? That, that God has chosen us, that God has something for us to do, that, that we should be or we, we could be living the dream, right? That, that God has something for us, but that also, like we started the series talking about Abraham and, and God talks to Abraham and talks to him about this massive dream of Abraham, you're going to have descendants that will, will populate the earth, right? And Abraham's like, man, I, I don't even have a son yet, God, right? There are these promises that you're giving me. I'm finding them hard to, to land in real life because you're telling me I'm going to have a family that's going to change the world and I don't even have an heir, and so what God does as, as Abraham and God are having this conversation is he says, Abraham, come step outside your tent with me, right? Because they're having this conversation in the tent. And they go and they step outside and, and God shows Abraham the stars. And he says, Abraham, do you see the stars? Try and count them. And Abraham says, I, I can't. And God says, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars. See, the reason we've been focusing on that little story is, is what's happening is is that tent for us is a metaphor. It's an analogy of the thinking that we build around our life, right? The safe thinking. You know, a tent is meant to protect you. Sometimes I've slept in a tent and it hasn't protected me, right? You forget to zip it up. The mozzies come in. You have one of those old canvas tents. You lean stuff on the wall. The water comes in. You realize, really, you are just sleeping outside. You've just got some fabric to pretend that you're not, but you're outside, right? But we build these tents to protect ourselves, to protect ourselves from the elements, from the scary animals like possums. It's about as scary as we get in New Zealand. Don't punch the roof of your tent if a possum's on the roof because it will do two things. It will dig its claws into your roof and put little holes in it, and simultaneously it will go pee on your roof, and then you'll get pee dripping onto you from the roof of your, your tent in the middle of the night. All right? I know that from personal experience. Also, cleaning possum pee out of the roof of your tent is not easy. And it does smell. 
right? But we, we build this tent. We build this thinking in our life to protect ourselves, these safe ways of, of automatic assumptions. And God is saying to us, you need to step out of your, your normal ways of thinking, your normal assumptions, the normal ways you think that life works, and look at the stars and realize I'm doing something amazing. See, we've been in this series, and, and, and the point of this series is to have us step out of our tents, out from our habitual thinking, our, our automatic assumptions, out from the things we put in place to protect us that now limit us and get under an open sky. Right, so, so to paint a picture, through the, the last few weeks we talked about purpose, how to dream, we, we were reminded that the canvas of our tent is not the sky. We talked about thinking, how, how we think. We were reminded that we need to align how we think with how God thinks, or else we'll end up back in our tent wondering why the stars look so dull. And, and today we're going to be talking about vision. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is Lucid Dreaming. Quick show of hands, who's heard the term lucid dreaming before? Yeah, for, for those of you who haven't heard the, the idea of lucid dreaming, basically it's, it's quite simply a, a dream in which you are aware that you're asleep. A dream in which you are aware that you're dreaming. And, and the reason that people like this idea of lucid dreaming is you can transform your dream. Right, you can go from having a dream in which you're in your underwear running down the main street to a dream in which you're still in your underwear but you're flying through the sky, right? You're always in your underwear in your dreams. If, if you're Jono, right, again, we're just giving microphone personal therapy session. It just happens. I apologize. But the, the thing is, right, is, is the idea of people like this idea of lucid dreaming. People go through a, a, a pretty kind of uh, rigorous process to try and achieve lucid dreams. They'll do stuff like start dream journals. And every morning when they wake up, they'll write down their dreams as quickly as they can. There's a whole lot of things you can do, right? You have specific thought processes you're meant to go through before you go to sleep. T to me, I go to sleep to kind of just sleep. So it all seems like a, a whole lot of work for sleeping to be able to control your dreams. I'm like, I don't really remember my dreams. But, but people are into it, right? People are into this idea of lucid dreaming, of being able to know that you're dreaming and as a result, control the dream. I, I have a habit, which is kind of like lucid dreaming, of I wake up halfway through a dream. Does anyone do that? Wake up halfway through a dream? Do you then need to go back to sleep to resolve the dream? Does anyone do that? Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, ah, I was halfway through a Formula One race. I need to go back to sleep. Em's like, it's time to get up. I'm like, five more minutes. I just need to win my race. I go to sleep. I wake up. She's like, did you win? I'm like, no. My car turned into a butterfly. It was weird. Right? But, but I have this thing of I need to resolve my dream. See, here's the thing today, right? This morning, I, I don't want to talk about vision like what do you see in the far off future. I feel like we kind of, we covered that idea talking about purpose. Today, I want to talk about vision here and now. See, I think as Christians, a lot of us are long-sighted, right? Long-sighted means that you can see far off, but you can't see what's right in front of your face, right? Long-sighted is those people who you see them in the, the cafes and they're reading their paper and they go like this, <clears throat> and that's how they read their paper, right? Anyone here long-sighted? I did not mean to offend you. I'm sorry. Sorry. You got glasses though, so you're fine. They look good. Fantastic. Right, but here's the thing. Oh, man, it just happens, right? Too often with the microphone. I'm too comfortable. Uh, but, but here's the thing, right? As Christians, I think a lot of us are long-sighted. We can dream for the future. We can think, one day, someday, I'd like to do that. But we struggle to land it in the here and now. We struggle to land it in, what do I do today? And, and like we talked about a week ago, we have this problem where purpose can't be delayed. 
right? God's purpose for our life, it can't be deferred. It can't be pushed off until some day. And so what happens is as Christians, we're long-sighted and we struggle to attach our purpose. We struggle to attach our dream to today. So today I want to look at a few things that Paul can teach us. How do we make sure that we are aware that we're living the dream? Because it's possible that we could be living the dream. It's, it's possible that we could be in the middle of a move of God, that God has purpose for us, that God has mission for us, that God has a dream for us, that God wants to take us out of our tents and show us the sky. And we're not aware that we're living the dream. See, a, a life-changing event should change the way you see things. Being saved, knowing that God is for you and has a life for you should change the way that we see the world. You might have noticed in praise and worship that my wife Emma is pregnant, right? If, you, if you're someone that's a surprise to her, I'm sorry, we tried to tell everyone, put it on Facebook, get on, get on Facebook. We're having a baby in February, right? Which is exciting. A little bit scary, but very exciting. But having a baby changes the way you see things. You know, primarily for me at the moment, it's been changing the way I look at other people's baby strollers. Right? Like, because me and him were trying to decide what baby stroller we were going to get. And believe it or not, there's quite an option, right? There's, there's many different types of baby strollers that you can choose to purchase. And, and so I just walked down the road, and before I'd noticed people had a baby, but now I'm looking and I'm like, I'm walking along and I'm like, ah, oh, mountain buggy, I see. Hmm, interesting, right? And someone else, I'm like, ah, oh, Phil and Ted. Right, I'm just name dropping baby stroller things. Other people go other with other baby. Oh, those are the only ones I know, right? But but life changing events, big moments in life, should change the way that we see things. Right? Rewind with me to before Paul wrote this letter in in Philippians to a story about Paul when he was a bit younger. It's in, it's in Acts chapter 16, and I want to connect these two stories. I'm, I'm going to read the end of it, but before I do, I'm just going to tell you what's happening. Is that all right? Turn to your neighbor and say it's story time. It's good. It's good. Right. Acts chapter 16. Paul and his buddy Silas, they're, they're in uh, Philippi, which is a, a major city in, in Macedonia, and it's also a Roman colony. And they're living in the city, and they're, they're probably staying with Lydia, who's thought to be the first European to become a Christian. And, and every day, Paul and Silas make a journey to a place of prayer. Right? Every day, they walk to this place of prayer, and, and they pray there. And every day that they're walking to this place of prayer, a young slave girl follows them. And this young slave girl, she's possessed by demons, and, and the result of this possession is that she can tell the future. Right, her masters hire her out to people to, to tell them what their future will hold. But she sees Paul and Silas walking by and, and something within her wells up and she knows that they're sent by God. Right, I think that this, this slave girl deep down inside, she doesn't want this possession. She doesn't want this thing on her. And, and so what she does is she follows Paul and Silas every day and she cries out following them down the road. This is Paul and this is Silas. They can tell you how to meet Jesus. They can tell you how to discover eternal life. They can, they can show you the way to life and life abundantly. And she follows them. And Paul starts to get annoyed. Right, day after day, they're trying to walk to where they're praying. And this, this girl follows them and she keeps on shouting. And, and, and Paul starts to just get a little bit irritated. And we don't know why. Right, maybe it was just that Paul was having a human moment. And he was like, lady, just stop shouting at me. 
I don't like it. I don't appreciate you shouting at me. Or I like to think that, that maybe it was because he was mad at this girl being used, that he saw this girl with possession and, and he said, this, this girl should be freed, not monetized because of her problem. That he was mad at her owners, that he was mad at the whole system of slavery. And so either way, it says in the Bible that, that Paul became exasperated. And one day he turns to her and says to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly the demon leaves her. And then as a result, the men who owned this girl weren't happy, right? Because this girl made them a lot of money. In fact, it says in verses 19 to 21, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So Paul and Silas, who I just want to point out, hasn't actually done anything yet, right? He's just walking with his friends. Paul and Silas are arrested, and and a mob forms around them, and they're stripped naked and beaten with wooden rods and then thrown into a dungeon into the the inner prison. Fun fact about the inner prison, the inner prison is called the inner prison because it is, come on guys, that was really easy. It's because it's inside, right? It's on the inner, inner. The outer prison would be on the, there we go. You guys are switched on. We got it. We got it. We're learning things in church. It's fun, right? But the, the inner prison is on the inside of the prison. And as a result, it doesn't get any natural light. Right, it's the, it's the worst place of the prison. It doesn't get any natural light. It also has two other things. It's dark because it doesn't get any natural light. It's also all of the time, it's very, very cold. Reminder, they're naked, right? So not much to keep them warm, unless one of them was quite hairy. We don't know that. It doesn't mention it in the Bible. Obviously, God did not think it was an important fact, right? And, and also, uh, it, it, it's been hypothesized that the way that the waste system worked in the prison is that it would all drain downwards into the middle of the prison where there was a drain that it would go out, which meant that everyone else's business would become Paul and Silas's business, right? So there they are. It's not a good day for Paul and Silas, right? They're, they're sitting in prison, beaten, naked, sitting in, in, in darkness and cold and, and sewage. So, so it's not a great afternoon, right? And, and then that leads us to, to Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34, where the same guy who wrote, celebrate God all day, every day, I mean revel in him, is sitting in a dark, smelly room, beaten, bloody, and naked. Right, and, and, and it says this. We'll put this bit up on the screen. Along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Then, without warning, a huge earthquake. The jailhouse tottered. Every door flew open. All of the prisoners were loose. Startled from sleep, the jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring that he was as good as dead anyway, because this was his one job, right? If he let the prisoners escape, he would be executed. So he figured, I'll do it now rather than having them kill me later. When, when Paul stopped him, don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody's run away, Paul said. The jailer got a torch because it's dark and ran inside. Badly shaken, he collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. He led them out of the jail and asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved to really live? 
They said, put your entire trust in the master Jesus. Then you'll live as you were meant to live and everyone in your house included. They went on to spell out in detail the story of the master. The entire family got in on this part. And I love this bit. They never did get to bed that night. The jailer made them feel at home. He dressed their wounds and then he couldn't wait till morning. He was baptized. He and everyone in his family there in his home. He had food set out for a festive meal. It was a night to remember. He as an entire family had put their trust in God. Everyone in the house was in on the celebration. Like they, they, they partied. They realized that they were living the dream. They realized that they could get out from under their tents and, and see the sky. See, when it comes to living the dream, there are some areas in which we need to take a closer look. We need to realize that, that there's more going on than we can see, that we are actually living the dream. We need to begin to realize what we're living in. We need to, to lucid dream. And it's because of this that Paul can write in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in Him. Right? It's because of this that he can write in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without His unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. Paul knows how to write, right? The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. Right, so the question I want to ask today is, is how? We've established that Paul seems to be pretty good at seeing beyond his situation. Paul seems to be pretty good at seeing beyond his circumstances, but how did Paul change the way that he saw things? Right, is Paul just an, an angel in flesh? Right, is Paul just a supernatural being? Is he like Jesus' cousin? He's, he's not. Jesus' brother was James, but that didn't help him, right? But he, here's the thing. Paul seemed to somehow be able to live a life where his situation, his circumstances didn't determine how he approached life. See, this morning I want to pull out three observations from our story of, of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. And they're not long, but I want to pull out these observations and I pray that they'll help us to realize that there is more going on in life than we can see. Because if you're anything like me, then all too often in, in my life, my attitude and outlook is determined by my temporary circumstances. Right? To, to put it an, another way, all too often my mood is determined by if I wake up on the right side of the bed or not. Right? I wake up with a bit of a headache and kind of feeling a little bit achy. And, and I kind of, when I went back to sleep to finish that dream and, and win the, the Formula One race, I, I fell back into deep sleep. Does anyone else do that? You're like five minutes of sleep, but somehow five minutes later I feel much more tired than I did if I should have just gotten up five minutes ago. And, and, and so I should just listen to Emma. That should, she should be written on my arm. All right, I'll get another tattoo. Listen to Emma. But here's the thing, right? How do we live beyond that? How do we live beyond how we feel? How do we live beyond our, our emotions? How do we have eyes to see what God is doing? How do we resist having our mood determined by the, the right set of events, by our, our circumstances? How do we wake up and realize that we are living the dream? How do we lucid dream? How can we be people who could be put under house arrest and write, celebrate all day, every day? 
So three points, three points on how we can have vision to see what is really happening, on how we can lucid dream, right? My first point, if you're taking notes, is we need to see that friends can also be teammates. See, here we are in in Acts chapter 16, and and Paul and and Silas are there, and they're walking to pray, and and Paul gets annoyed, and and he tells the demon and this little girl to leave, and and her master's out out of pocket and angry, so they get Paul and Silas, and they, they drag them into the town square, and they get them arrested. Have you ever been, Silas? Have you ever been in a situation where you're in trouble because of something your friend did? It might come as a bit of a surprise, but uh, in school, I was a bit of a smooth talker. Shocking. Jono, no. Who would have ever thought that you would have been a smooth talker in school? And so what I used to do is, is I would consider, and I'm not, I'm not advocating this approach to education, but at school, I would consider my teachers to be more kind of my friends. They're just friends there to deliver a bit of a lesson, but they're mates first and teachers second, right? I went to this school, Wellington High School. Part of what didn't help is some of our teachers we called by our first name. On reflection, I can see maybe why that's not a great idea, right? Because you get matey with them. And so my teacher would tell me off, and I'd be like, Miss, Miss, come on. You know you know, I didn't mean to do that. You know me. You know my heart, Miss. You, you know, come on, we're friends. You know that that wasn't my intent. You don't you don't need to give me detention, right? Like, I, come on, it was just a little mistake. It, miss, are you telling me you've never made a mistake? We've all made mistakes. AJ is seething with rage. She's like, you are the worst student that has ever existed, right? And, and so I'd, I'd, most of the time, I was, I was able to smooth talk my way out of detention. Miss, you wouldn't give a friend detention, would you? Yes, I would. Okay, sorry, miss. But the trouble I always found hard to get out of was, was the trouble that was shared trouble. The trouble where you were inside because it was raining, but you were boys, so you still needed to kick a ball around. And so you're in a hallway, and you're kicking a ball around. And then, who would have ever thought that this could possibly happen? Someone kicks the ball a little bit too high, and it hits one of those fluorescent light tubes, which seem to just be held in by wishes and and good positive thoughts. And so they go, and then, right? And then Shona, some of you know Shona. Shona appears at the end of the hallway. You! You're like, huh? She's very fast. We're not going to be able to run. She's like, all of you, follow me. Sorry, Shona. That's why sometimes she looks at me, right? She doesn't quite realize that I was a student here, but sometimes she looks at me and she's like, why do I, something in me is angry at you and I don't know why. I'm like, I I know why. Right, or, or you're sitting at a table with your friends and your friends are talking. You're not. You're doing your maths work because you loved maths. Right, and so you're working away. You're trying very hard. And the teacher says, Oi, you, that table, all staying after class. Like, Sir, I wasn't speaking. I don't care. You're staying after class. Sit at the wrong table. You're like, okay. It's hard to, it's hard to argue with that one. Right, here's Paul Silas. Here's poor Silas. And all he's doing is, is he's walking to pray with his friend Paul, right? It's just a walking commute. He's just on his way, and Paul gets all antsy and, and upset and casts out some demons, right? And they both get arrested. And, but, but, and then they both get beaten, and then they both get stripped naked, and they, they both get thrown in the dungeon. But it was Paul who'd cast out the demon. If it was Paul and, and Jono, it would go a little bit differently, right? Paul would cast out the demon, and then the guards would arrive, and I'm a good friend, right? I'm up for backing up my friends. So I'd be like, hey, look, guards, it was just a, we just cast out the demon because, well, Paul cast out the demon. I want to emphasize that fact that it was 
Paul who did the thing you're angry about, but I was here, and, and then the guard would punch me in the face, and I'd be like, okay, that hurt me a little bit, but I'm quite manly, so I can take a punch to the face, I assume, having never really been punched in the face in my life. Can't hurt that much, right? And so I'm like, that's fine, that's fine. And then the guards grab me, and they pull off my outer robe, and I'm like, oh, I'm just on my inner robe now. And then they grab me, and they pull off my inner robe, and I'm like, it was really just Paul. It was not me. I didn't do anything. Could I please go home? This is just a, a case of mistaken identity. This is all a hilarious misunderstanding. I was just walking with him to the temple to pray. I love praying. I didn't cast out any demons. Could I please go home? Paul, I'll see you later. Good luck. Can I have my coat back? Thank you very much. And I'd leave. Right? That would be Paul and, and Jono. That, that would be how it worked. But Silas didn't do that. Silas, he stands with his friend. He's not just with Paul for the, the moments where Paul makes him feel good or to see the cool things that, that Paul's going to do. He knows that they are on mission, and he knows that he's a part of the team. See, we can too easily forget what friendships are. See, we end up thinking that, that hanging out and laughing is the end goal. And hanging out and laughing and enjoying ourselves is, is all good and it's great, but, but we forget that we're living the dream, and sometimes there is more going on that we have a purpose to being here, and we need to have teammates to remind us of that. That a friendship isn't just for enjoyment, but a friendship is for support. That a friendship is to spur us on, that we need teammates to stand with us when life gets hard. See, we need to remember that we're living the dream. How do we lucid dream is we get a Silas who will stand next to us, who will say, wow, really? Really, Paul, you're going you're gonna to cast out the demon, okay? Oh, oh, really? Now, now we're getting beaten. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, now I'm, now I'm naked. Thanks, Paul. Now I'm in a dungeon. Okay, this will be a story. This will be a story. Let's do this. Paul, I'm with you. I'm, we're in the dungeon. We're together. I'm not leaving. I'm not running away. Paul, we're doing this. So, yeah, Paul, we're doing this together. See, here's the thing, though. We'd all really like a Silas, right? Show of hands, who would like a Silas in their life? Friend who's by their side no matter what, right? Someone who's got your back. Someone you can be like, hey, I've got my lunch money. Can you shout me lunch? And you can say that every day of the week and they always buy you lunch. That would be great. And we can hear this and we can start to have a little bit of that, like the row glance goes on. You hear it and you're like, yeah, it would be great to have a teammate in life. You, you're a bad friend. You're not a teammate, right? Why aren't you my teammate? And we, and we hear this, and we apply it to someone else. We apply it like maybe, maybe you're not mean. Maybe you don't look down the row and think that person's a horrible person, but you just think, God, I'd really like a teammate. God, when are you going to send me my teammate? God, when are you going to send me my Silas? When are you going to send me my person to, to stand by me? See, here's the thing, why Will you be a Silas? When we hear this, we, when we hear this, are we dreaming for a Silas or are we saying, okay, I guess I need to be a Silas? You know, it, it says in Proverbs that to have a friend, you must be friendly, right? So, so that means to have a Silas, you must be a Silas. And, and what does it mean to, to be a Silas? What does being a Silas look like? It means not quitting when it gets tough. It, it means not leaving when you have every excuse to leave. See, Silas chose to stick with his teammate even when he didn't have to. We remember that we are living the dream when we have friends who are also teammates. And to have teammates, we need to be teammates. 
as I move a little bit quicker because somehow the time just went. Uh, number two, if you're taking notes, number two, to lucid dream, to remember that we are living the dream, we need to see that joy is a choice. See, there Paul and Silas are, and they're sitting in the dungeon. And it has to be a little bit awkward because they're both still naked, which I would find awkward in a dungeon. Say it was me and Putty, we got thrown in jail. We're like, hey, Putty, horrible dungeon, eh? Stop looking. Right, it'd be awkward situation. So there they are, they're in the dungeon, awkward situation. Neither of them are super happy, I imagine, because they've just been beaten, they've been stripped naked, they're sitting in the cold, damp, dark, smelly place of the dungeon. And I wonder if one of them turns to the other and was like, hey, do you feel like we should sing? And the other one's like, no. No. No, I'm, I'm beaten and I'm naked and I'm, a, I'm in a dungeon. I think I'm going to mope. What I really feel like doing in this moment is, is moping. But, but somehow they start praying and they start singing and they start celebrating in the middle of a horrible situation, which makes me pause and wonder, what did they know? Because again, I'm, I'm sure that they're not angels. I'm sure that they're not like the third coming of Christ just a little bit later. I'm sure that they're people like you and me. So, so if they're people like you and me, they must be sort of similar, but they feel like a different species to be able to celebrate in this moment. See, why, why can they celebrate in such adverse circumstances when I can struggle to smile before my morning coffee? Why can they celebrate in such adverse circumstances when I get annoyed if on my walk to work someone cuts in front of me but they don't match my pace? Right? Why, why is it that, does anyone relate to this? Right? I, I want to be full of joy. I want to be calm and, and full of blessings, but it's definitely not my natural predisposition. Hard things come at me in life, and my first reaction is not, shall we sing a song? See, here, here Paul and Silas are in prison, and one turns to the other and says, hey, do you want to sing? See, joy starts with a choice. See, I, I'm sure that they didn't feel like singing. In fact, I'm sure that they started with a prayer. And I'm pretty sure that the prayer started like this. Hey, God, what the heck? Hey, hey, God, I thought we had an understanding. Hey, God, I thought we were doing your work. What are you doing, God? Are you asleep? I cast out a demon. You literally said to cast out demons. Why aren't you helping us out? Where did you, would it be nice if you intervened before we got beaten and stripped naked and chucked in a smelly dungeon, right? God, where are you? See, that's actually an okay prayer to pray. See, as Christians, we often have a misunderstanding that we can't let God know that we're having a hard time, that we can't let God know that, that, that we're in trouble. See, the thing is, is that He knows, and He really wants us to tell Him about it, because as we tell Him about it, we can move through it. Have you ever read the Psalms? Right, part of my Bible reading plan is I read a Psalm a day, and sometimes I'm like, man, these Psalms are getting me down. There's a lot of like, God, what was me? God, I have some enemies. Would you please crush them with great teeth? God, would you please crush my enemies' skulls to dust? And I'm like, wow, David had some like issues. He was working some stuff out. But we're actually meant to pray prayers like that. See, our emotions, when we keep them on the inside all bottled up, they do nothing but harm us. But when we let them out to God, we can start to process them. See, joy is a choice, and sometimes that choice starts with you verbalizing to God how you feel. And, and then it moves to God, please help me to feel differently. God, I'm feeling angry and disappointed, and, and, and I'm in a mood right now. God, help me to feel differently. And then it starts with a prayer that reminds yourself who God is. God, help me to feel differently because I know that you're good. 
God, help me to feel differently because I know that you're trustworthy. God, help me to feel differently because I know that you're powerful. And even though I'm in this moment where I'm feeling dejected and down, help me to feel differently because you're bigger and you're going to do something. And before you know it, you've gone from praying, God, I'm feeling so bad, to you're praising God. God, you are so good. From God, I'm in the dungeon to God, you can get me out of the dungeon. See, but so often in our lives, I know for me, when I'm in this hopeless situation and in a place where, where I could have chosen to be joyful, instead I, I don't even pray to God, I just talk to myself. Oh, Jono. Jono, Jono, Jono. Sure is hard being Jono. That's tough. It's, it's, you're in a tough spot, bud. It's tough. See, here's the thing. When you pray, who's the first person that hears you? It's you. See, the, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That Paul again in Romans chapter 10. See, I appreciate that you're here today. I appreciate that you took the time to, to come and, and to be here. But if the only edifying, encouraging truth that you hear in the week is from the pulpit on a Sunday, it won't be the dream that you're living. It'll be a nightmare. See, the words that make the greatest difference in your life will always be the words that you speak. Right? We know that the power of life and death is in the tongue. What are you speaking out? And again, I'm not saying ignore your situation, but don't complain to yourself. Pray to God. Don't say, oh, Jono, you're having a bad day and it really sucks and the world's horrible and you're all right to have a bad day and feel bad because the world's a bad place. Say, God, I'm having a bad day and it feels like the world is horrible and I don't know what's going on. Help me to change how I'm feeling because I know that there's something else that I can't quite see here. God, help me, to, help me to realize that I'm living the dream. God, God, I feel like it's a nightmare. Help me to lose the dream. You know, it's funny. I think often our approach is more along the, line, along the lines of, God, I'll sing once you've done something. Right? Like, 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 God, I'll sing once you do the earthquake, then I'll sing. But that's not how the story God goes. God has done nothing. They were in prison at the tail end of a horrible, horrible day, and it wasn't like God phoned in a song request. Like, hey, Paul, Silas. Oh, look at that. You're there. Sorry, I was on the other side of the world dealing with some other stuff. It's a shame. Hey, uh, if you sing me a song, I'll, uh, I'll send you an earthquake, right? Or even better, if I send an earthquake, will you sing me a song? And Paul says, like, yeah, that'd be awesome. What song do you want? God's like, I want oceans. I stole that joke from Judah Smith, so full credit. Uh, but see, here's the thing. See, Paul and Silas are in this dungeon and they're singing. Could it be that they're aware that they're living the dream? Could it be that they are, are lucid dreaming, that they have eyes to see what's going on around them? See, number three, just as I wrap up, it's a lucid dream. To remember that we are living the dream, we need to have vision to see that, one, a friend can also be a teammate. Two, who can help you to choose joy, right? Your teammate can help you to choose joy. Number three, we need to see who the miracle is for. See, verse 26, it says, Then without warning, a huge earthquake. The jailhouse totted, every door flew open, all of the prisoners were loose. All of a sudden, there's this huge earthquake, and Paul and Silas and everyone else in the jail is free. Why did Paul and Silas stick around? Right, they're free. They could have just walked out. They could have just walked out the doors. Every door flew open. All the prisoners were loose. Why did Paul and Silas not hop out, say thanks for having us, and wander out, grabbing some clothes on the way? Right? Why did they stay? See, the Bible wants us to know that the jailer is about to end his life, that he considers himself dead already because he would be executed as punishment for this breakout. But Paul yells out, don't do that. 
don't, don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody's run away, which makes me think Paul and Silas must have rounded up all of the prisoners and were like, don't leave. Because they were all still there. See, it's one miracle to have an earthquake open the prison doors. It's a whole other miracle to have a bunch of prisoners who could walk out of prison choose to stay there because two naked, beaten guys said they should. Why did they stay? Why did the prisoners listen to Paul and Silas? I think the answer is just one verse back. Along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. The other prisoners are in prison, and here are these guys in the same situation as them with a different response. Here are these guys in the same messed up place as them, but they're not sitting there going, Jono, you've got a bad day. Jono, poor Jono. But they're praying, and they're asking God for help, and they're asking God to remind them who He is, and then they're praising God. See, then without warning, a huge earthquake, the earthquake happens, and the other prisoners are of no question as to why it happened. They heard the singing. See, the other prisoners heard Paul and Silas singing robustly. They knew the earthquake wasn't a coincidence because it was the second miracle they'd witnessed that night. The first miracle was two men praising God in the middle of their hardship, not ignoring their hardship, not pretending it was okay, but choosing joy in the middle of the heart. So when Paul and Silas said, wait, they listened because they'd seen them earn their authority in the middle of the dungeon, beaten naked and praising in spite of it. See, there are four miracles in this moment, and, and I promise I'm done. Miracle number one was Paul and Silas singing in the dungeon. Miracle number two was the earthquake freeing everyone. The third miracle was a bunch of hardened criminals listening to Paul and Silas. And miracle number four was the fact that Paul and Silas themselves chose to stay. See, often in life, we make the mistake of thinking our miracles are just for us, right? We, we get out of the dungeon and make our merry day way down the road, but, but what if we were freed so that we could free others? What if the larger purpose of our blessing was beyond just us and our immediate circumstances? See, the jailer and his family, what Paul and Silas did, it changed their lives. See, Judah Smith has a great quote, if God can get a blessing through you, he will get it to you. See, life's a process, isn't it? God has called us to live the dream. God has called us to, to be intentional and to live with purpose. And to do that, we need to see that we need teammates, not just friends. That we need to be a Silas sticking together in the dungeon moments. We need to see that joy is a choice. That is not about ignoring our circumstances, but it's also not about letting our circumstances rule us. And we need to see who our miracle is for. It's, a, it's an old Christian adage that we are blessed to be a blessing. But it's true. Right? We are living the dream, and part of the dream is the purpose of inviting others to also live the dream. See, but here's the thing, right? We can, we can hear these things. Man, I need to be a teammate. Man, I, I want to choose joy. Man, I want to see my miracles and be able to apply them to others. I want to share my blessings. And, and it can feel hard. Right? Like just being a teammate, going to jail with a friend is hard, let alone choosing to sing in jail, let alone getting a blessing in jail, finally having my breakthrough and choosing to stay in jail. It's hard. So here's the thing. 
We've gone a little bit over time, but I want to wrap up by us singing a song with the team. Because we can't do this without God. We can't be teammates without God. We can't be who we are meant to be in our own strength. And the reason is we were never meant to be who we were meant to be in our own strength. Right? God didn't say, right, John, I want you to change the world and be an incredible person. And you can do it on your own. You're pretty good. As much as sometimes I try and convince myself that. We need God to to stay on Courtney Place in the middle of the night, handing out hundreds of bottles of water to drunk people. We need God to smile again at work the next time that that person doesn't deliver on the thing that they're meant to deliver on and say, hey, it's all right. This wasn't what was meant to happen, but let's move through it. We need God to, to, to treat our family who keep on annoying us with grace. We need God when our circumstances get us down and we feel like, God, why me? Why now? to push into God and say, God, I need you in this moment. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing this song with, with the band. And I just want it to be our prayer. I'll pray and then we will pray. And then we'll be done. Right, but this, this song, if the band can do it. Are we all good to do that song? We're going to sing this song and it's, it's real simple. We probably don't have the lyrics, but it's, it's overflow. And it just, the lyrics just say, fill me up until I overflow. I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. That's it. Simple refrain. But here's the thing. We can't be who God calls us to be. We can't live the dream. We can't be aware that we're in the middle of a move of God without God moving, without God empowering our every step, without God enabling us. See, the question at the start, how could Paul and Silas sing in the dungeon is because they knew they weren't alone in the dungeon. They knew God was with them in that moment. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? Why don't you close your eyes and raise your hands? God, in this moment, we stand here as your church. God, and we ask you to fill us up. God, to remind us that it's not in our strength. God, that it's not in our ability. God, that it's not in our excess, but that it's in yours. God, we know that you have called us to change the city. God, we know that you have called us to make a measurable impact in this city, God. And yet we're aware that we lack and yet we're aware of our weaknesses and our gaps and our places where we can't, God. And so we reach out to you, God, and we say, we are vessels ready to be filled up. God, we're ready to be filled with your blessing, God. God, ready to be filled with your power, God. God, ready to be filled with your ability, God. God, that in our weakness, we are made strong, God, because it's not us, it's you, God. God, fill us up, God. Come on, why don't you reach out to a God who is more than we need?